the Cascadia Solidarity Zone, a podcast by members of Seattle DSA. I'm your host, Joshua. A warning to our listeners, this episode is about police violence. On May 25, 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was killed by Minneapolis police. His killing was recorded on a cell phone by a bystander, allowing the world to see the Minneapolis police officer put his knee on the back of Mr. Floyd's neck while he was handcuffed on the ground for almost nine minutes. In the wake of this tragedy and obvious abuse of police power, protests have erupted around the world. Protests began in Seattle days later on May 29th. A large protest was organized on Saturday, May 30th, where police indiscriminately dispersed protesters with tear gas, pepper spray, and other so-called less lethal means. As of the date of this recording, protests have occurred in Seattle every single day since then, as they have in many cities and communities across the United States. Many Seattle DSA members have participated in these protests in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and other BIPOC community organizers. We have collected a few of their stories to share with you here. Hello, Cascadia Solidarity Zone. My name is Tom. I've been in the SDSA since around January 4th. I live in South Seattle, and I am a white guy. I went on Sunday, May 31st, to downtown Seattle. I saw a lot of positive things. People were handing out water and masks. The vibe was really great. People were excited, and there was a lot of energy and anger, but I never felt threatened or out of place in the protest, unless the police were involved. The way the crowd moved and chanted and acted without real direction felt amazing. I knew no one going in. I had some friends there, but I didn't really see them. I didn't really speak to anyone because we were all marching, but I felt really like I was friends with everyone when I was leaving. If you want to know what solidarity means, I suggest you go to a protest. The police were a constant threat. They flashbanged us. At some point, for no reason, I could discern. I heard it was to make room for their big trucks to drive through. As we kneeled on the street, they would put on gas masks to intimidate us. They constantly pushed to escalate. They want violence from protesters. On the protester side, there was a lot of agitating against the police, yelling at them, making them feel shame. I did see one person tagging the Amazon Go building with things like BLM, Fuck 12, etc. They were not white, and nobody bothered them. The crowd around them protected them largely from the police even seeing it, I think, but I didn't necessarily, it didn't seem intentional. We were all just kind of a big crowd moving. My takeaways are that first, the police are going to continue to escalate, so we need to continue to show up. It's scary, it is life-threatening, but it's only with solidarity we can even stay safe from the police. Showing up puts your life at risk to save the lives of your community. COVID-19 is still a major threat, so I understand that aspect as well. Even just driving by to give people water and how not masks is a huge help. Thank you for doing this, and I hope everybody stays safe, and I hope that we can make real change. Hi, uh, this is Carolyn Brotherton, and here are a few thoughts about 
my experiences of the Black Lives Matter um, protests that have been happening in Seattle for the past uh, week. So um, on Saturday, uh, May 30th, I made a plan to attend the protest that was happening downtown. And um, while I was there, the police car caught on fire. And um, what happened was the first instinct that I had was uh, danger, <laughs> get away um, from a p- possibly exploding vehicle. And as I was creating some distance between myself and the car, I noticed so many people were getting closer to the you know core of the protest and um, the police who were instigating violence, like getting closer to that. And the first thought that crossed my mind when I saw people going, you know, running, basically running towards a burning car was uh, the people who are in this movement are very brave um, and willing to put their bodies on the line in a way that at least last Saturday, I was completely, uh, my instinct was the opposite. And that really moved me and made me question um, the safety and the privilege that I have uh, as a white person and that I'm kind of used to that feeling of uh, put myself in a safe place and stay there. Um, So that got me thinking about that. And then um, ever since last Saturday, I've been attending the uh, the protests happening in Capitol Hill. And I live just a few blocks away from the East Precinct. And um, we've been hearing helicopters flying overhead and planes flying low um, almost every single day. I think every day since last Saturday. Um, the low-level anxiety that this causes is real and uh, has, you know made me feel like if they have this much money to spend on helicopters, uh, this is a complete affront to our democracy and the idea that we pay taxes to support the public good. Because it's very clear if you have been to the Capitol Hill protest that what the police are doing there has nothing to do with protecting the public good. Um, the thing that's really struck me about the Capitol Hill um occupation essentially is just the uh inspiring amount of mutual aid and you know free food medics um people just walking around with water and hand sanitizer and masks um it's really inspiring because it feels like we're able to take care of each other in a pretty quick easy way and people really want to help and that's been really inspiring to see, you know, free pizza, hot dogs, sandwiches, granola bars, juice, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, and um, one particular moment that just really stuck with me from the last week was I was walking back from Capitol Hill, um, the East Precinct, to my apartment around midnight on Monday. And um, as I was walking back, I someone was smoking a cigarette outside their apartment and um, I said hi and they said hi and then in a very un you know unlike Seattle moment we got to talking and we realized that we were both uh, socialists and that we had both been to Seattle DSA meetings and um, as we were talking about um, you know the idea that we should uh, defund the police 
and um, other ideas around, you know, all cops are bad. Uh, you know, uh, 10 shots rang out extremely close to us, maybe a block away. Um, it was extremely loud. And, um, you know, I huddled behind a car instinctively. Again, my fear response is very strong. And two other people who were walking by um, uh, also were, you know, crouching down. And um, the person I'd been talking to, this socialist friend, um, new friend, um, you know, was like looking around the corner and helped us cross the street and feel safe. And as we were approaching the corner, someone across the street opened their window and called out and said, are you guys okay? Do you need anything? And um, this experience of having, you know, this outpouring of solidarity on a street corner at night with a bunch of people who'd never met before, while, you know, there's some type of violence being perpetrated off screen has been much of my experience of these protests. Um, it's been uh, a moving experience, but also pretty weird because every time I leave the Capitol Hill protest, it's nonviolent. Nothing is, you know, the protesters are chanting and helping each other. And then I'll go home to my, you know, phone and, and, and just check social media and see 15 minutes after I left, the police started deploying tear gas and pepper spray and, you know, other quote unquote deterrents, um, or, you know, dispersal agents. And, um, it's been pretty uh, surreal f f to have that experience of solidarity and you know peaceful, um, peaceful protesting. Maybe nonviolent protesting is a better word, and then have so much violence happening at the same time that seems um, completely unnecessary and and almost a hundred percent instigated by um, police who were paying to um, you know supposedly protect us. So as the days have gone on, I've continued to go to the protest. And um, I would say that some ideas I held before about police and cops and police brutality have shifted. And I've, you know, come to different ways of thinking about it. And I think that's something that's so powerful about this movement is that there's a lot of people coming into it and getting radicalized by it and, um, you know, realizing that there is this potential to build a better future and build a, a world that is, is, a, is a better world. So that's my uh, short report of the protest. And uh, let's uh, continue to do this, continue to put pressure and continue to show up in the streets. My name is Tim. I'm new both to Seattle, DSA, and Seattle, and the US, really. I moved here back in January. Uh, on Saturday, I joined the protest, moving from um, working from Pioneer Square up to the West Lake Center. I saw a lot of people in the streets, uh, police, normal, like regular protesters. I also saw a couple of people open carrying AR-15, or what looked like them at least. It was a pretty interesting sight, and I'm not too used to. Um, at the Westlake Center, there were 
Essentially, it looked like there were two different protests going on at the same time. Um, one of them was, um, I guess you could say, led by some kind of preacher who was giving a speech, and people were just standing around listening. It was kind of a mix of people. Uh, there were like people who had like it's equipment for um, the protest, uh, protective goggles and everything, and there were also like families with kids. Um, I then had to like, meet my friend, which was a bit more up north from the protest. Uh, it was on 5th and Olive, I think. And the people there were much more active, I guess you could say. It was a much more, a much bigger crowd, and it was in streets instead of um, square, so much more dense. Uh, drums and chants, and you know what you would expect to protest to look like, I guess. After. A few minutes of being there, uh, we were being moved by the police, essentially, back into the kind of plaza next to Bank of America. Um, very quickly, we started hearing some explosions, some flashbang grenades, I guess, and van tear gas. And from where I was standing, uh, I couldn't see any kind of violence or anything from the protester. Uh, it was just people chanting and standing, and yeah, we got telegraphed almost immediately. So, yeah, that was my experience with the protest downtown on Saturday. I'm Maddie Washburn. Uh, I've been affiliated with DSA, I guess, since the start of this year, um, though there was some confusion as to what exactly membership was. And so I, I didn't, you know, just become an official member until just now, right before recording this. But I was, I took part in the Seattle protests uh, against police brutality this past Saturday. Uh, I was, I got down there around nine o'clock in the morning, a couple hours before the, the first protest was scheduled in front of the police department, just to kind of scope out, you know, what the crowd was going to be like. And just the generally, you know, didn't, didn't know what the scene was going to be seen as there had been, uh, protesting that was unscheduled the night before. Um, but the, uh, the first protest kicked off around noon in front of the, the police headquarters it was, you know, overall peaceful. They had a couple speakers from the black community come and share their experiences, um, you know, give their thoughts on the situation and everything. And from there, we ended up going on to a march until the protest that was scheduled at three o'clock in Westlake Park began. Um, by that point, it was kind of hard to, you know, try to understand what was and wasn't part of the officially sanctioned uh, protest just because there were two massive crowds coming together. And by that point, I couldn't get into the park itself and was off to the side on the corner of Fifth and Pine where the, uh, the police stopped us from marching further. Um, for, you know, somewhere between 20 minutes to an hour, it was hard to kind of, you know, gauge the time because in quarantine time means almost nothing anymore. But 
they uh they they stopped us from taking a left onto fifth uh which is where it seemed like the march uh organically wanted to continue and after a certain amount of time uh, a bunch of people in the front of the march said okay well why don't we take a right down fifth instead which it you know ultimately led us back to where the police department uh the police headquarters uh, was where, you know, we started the day at noon. Um, and so we ended up a crowd of, I don't know how many people it, it was at least a couple hundred, if not breaking a thousand, um, ended up surrounding the police headquarters, you know, left, right, and front, uh, continuing, you know, our peaceful protest, the chanting, the hooting and hollering and all of that. Um, up until around 4.45, where police, unprovoked, um, ended up, started throwing tear gas and flash grenades into the crowd. You know, at at first, I thought that maybe I had missed something, and that, uh, that maybe someone had thrown, like, a water bottle or something, but I was able to go back and look, and it, it seems as though they were talking on police scanners, you know, maybe up to 20 minutes beforehand that they were planning to tear gas the area. Um, so, so it had nothing to do with anything being incited from the crowd. Um, I know a couple people in the crowd were getting agitated, were putting their hands on the barriers and starting to shake them. Uh, I did what I could to, you know, tell them to, to knock that off because if we are going to say, that the police are the ones in the wrong, and that's what our, our protest is about. Um, you know, we have to give them the space to prove us right. Uh, and, and if, you know, if any of us were to instigate and, and escalate on our end, um, they would be within their right to, um, you know, use some form of force. So, so we, we, we did, you know, maintain peaceful protesting. And then they tear gassed us, uh, they flash grenaded us. There's vid, there's, there, there's a couple videos, um, of it happening. And it, it's, it, it was, it was out of nowhere, man. It, 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 and the majority of us ended up running down, uh, downhill, down Cherry Street, um, you know, to the, the, the intersection of Fourth and Cherry. That way we could, you know, dr- kind of dress our wounds, let the um, let let the smoke clear out and everything, get saline solution in people's eyes who were tear gassed. And once the smoke started clearing out, uh, you know, a decent handful of people tried to make their ways back up, and the cops began to yell that and threaten that they were going to start firing rubber bullets uh, if people returned to that area. So. The majority of us ended up making our way back down fourth, back towards Westlake, and ended up getting, you know, the um, the curfew notifications on our phone, uh, with you know curfew being called to take place at five o'clock. This only being put into effect by four forty-five, and, and it not hitting our phones until five o three, five o four, five o five, something along that. Uh, depending on, you know, who your cell provider was. Um, a lot of us were concerned that the police were going to take that as an excuse to escalate violence even further. And from that point, we, uh, at least my fiance and I ended up leaving downtown, uh, with a friend of ours. 
you know, just to avoid further police violence. Um, as we were leaving, it looked like there were still tons of people um, gathered around Westlake. Uh, there was a car on fire <laughs> over there. I think it was a police car. From what I understand, uh, the police had gassed uh, that area as well, and that's when things ended up getting violent. But I wasn't in that specific area at that time, so I can't really speak on that. I can only speak on my specific experiences, but it was a police escalation that was, you know, ultimately uncalled for. Um, but I guess the takeaway is that, you know, even while remaining peaceful, you can't expect the, the police to, you know, meet you in kind, especially after, you know, we've been watching the past couple of days with live streams and everything um, from further protests and police are still assaulting peaceful protesters in Seattle and around America. Um, so, you know, if you're going out there, be safe. But that's all I've really got right now. I don't have any answers. I wish I did, but it's, it's confusing times. It's, it's confusing times. Hello, my name is Annika. I was part of protests on Saturday, May 30th by Westlake Center, um, attending the Defiant Walk of Resistance Against Injustice, organized by not this time, I think, um, from 3.45 to 5 p.m. On that day... Um, it, it was crazy. I mean, my boyfriend and I walked up to a burning police car, you know, the air just like smoke rising above the fucking skyscrapers, helicopters, um, broken windows, you know, um, justice for George Floyd, fuck capitalism, police are murderers, painted all over the sides of Nordstrom. Um, this was cool as shit to see and also terrifying. Um, my boyfriend and I decided to go in and get pretty close um, to, I guess, the center of action, you could say, where there was just a wall of cops. Um, there was a lot of stagnant energy at this particular event, um, where there were just kind of protesters like yelling, throwing water bottles over the wall of cops and stuff, um, trying to get closer to the burning car. And then the police would advance back. Eventually, we got onto Fifth Avenue and kind of started marching. And then the cops just made a line so people couldn't march anymore, which seemed to be stupid because when people are marching, they have an organized purpose. And it really seemed to be this just sort of stagnant face-off where things would escalate really quickly. But, um, yeah, 
at this moment, I guess I will say that protesters, especially towards the front, were, um, I saw things being thrown over at the cops. I didn't see anything heavier than a water bottle. Um, and yeah, that was really it, uh, to which the cops responded by setting off flashbangs, um, and spraying pepper spray at the people in the front. Um, everybody had to run back really quickly and was sort of like collapsing all over each other and stuff. Um, and yeah, I didn't see any justification for that intensity of action. Eventually, you know, once my boyfriend and I left, um, I saw that people took I-5 and were just marching. And I think that's, that was a really special moment. But yeah, since then, um, I was at the March of... 10,000 to City Hall on June 3rd. And wow, that was super different. Um, a lot more white people and just a lot more people. Um, I can't even remember what it was called or who organized it. I will be completely honest. I know that Nikita Oliver was speaking at City Hall. Um, Mary Durkin was there. Um, I don't know who the other speakers were because I couldn't get close enough to see them. I could only hear them, but, um, yeah, this seemed to be a really organized event where it started at Cal Anderson. Um, I got there kind of late, so I just followed groups of people who were holding signs all the way down, um, and met up with them under the freeway where there were kind of biking marshals, um, all along the sides of the march and the back. And when people would come up to the back, they would say, okay, we need you to close in this intersection, but they would be blocking it off, um, from the cars so that everyone was safe. Throughout the march, there were chant leaders. Um, I don't know if those were organized or just, you know, random people. Um, and so that everybody could keep chants going on, like throughout the crowd, you know, um, there were, nurses and healthcare workers who had come down from like um Swedish and Harborview and stuff waving at us and clapping for us and we clapped for them. Yeah. Let's see what else was going on. Tax Amazon was collecting some signatures. I mean that's just a a personal project of mine. So that was super successful on that day, I think, and in solidarity with that movement. Um, but there was a ton of police around city hall and the windows were boarded up and stuff. And I didn't see them move like a muscle. Um, but there were at least 50 of them, maybe a hundred of them down around there, just looking so imposing full riot gear. And literally the protesters could not have been more peaceful. Like I saw nothing physical whatsoever towards them except flipping them off. Um, yeah. And then, uh, the other day was June 6th, I guess that was yesterday, um, from when I'm recording this. And, uh, yeah, there was a march from Cal Anderson down through the South Lake Union area. Some really awesome organizing with that was, um, before the march started, somebody was giving instructions to the crowd of like certain hand gestures, um, like, um, kind of flapping our hands downward meant like quiet down so we could hear the speaker. Honestly, the biggest disruption to this protest, which probably had maybe a thousand people or more, like it wasn't huge, but um, substantial, lots of young people. The biggest disruption was a Jesus guy who was following us the entire time. And 
I think he was handled well and that there was just kind of one guy on him the whole time, um, just kind of putting his hands out around him so that people wouldn't go up and try to start shit. Um, and the guy was really annoying and it's like, I don't know what to do about those people because he was just yelling about Jesus when we would be trying to have like powerful moments of silence and stuff. Eventually we yelled over him and everyone just ignored him and it was just a minor annoyance. So, you know, I think that's okay. But, um, yeah, I guess those are my experiences. I've, I've kind of reflected on them as I went. Um, I know that, I know that curfew is really, causing um a lot of I guess violence and friction tension escalation whatever you want to call it um I know that that keeps happening and I know that that's what I saw on Saturday May 30th um so you know Durkin um you know call back the curfew and, um, I've seen the organization of these protests just evolve drastically, um, in just a week and, um, have all sorts of creative means of communication amongst vast groups of people and just so, so, so much peace, so much peace and so much solidarity and such large numbers of people out in the streets and people cheering people on from the sidelines and stuff. Um, that really is the overwhelming experience of this and also, and also outrage like true and pure and raw outrage that is so warranted from black people, oppressed people, poor people, working class people. Um, and uh, I don't know, middle class people like wealthier people white people on behalf of others you know and um yeah I you know we we shouldn't let down um I think organization will continue being required um motivation, inspiration, energy, and, um, it's our streets right now. Um, and let's take them. Since the protests began in Seattle, local Black organizers have developed three core demands for our city. 1. Defund the Seattle Police Department. The city faces a $300 million budget shortfall due to COVID-19. The Seattle City Council should propose and vote for a 50% cut from the $363 million already budgeted for SPD. 2. Invest in community-based health and safety. This includes full access to affordable housing, community-based anti-violence programs, trauma services and treatment, universal childcare, and free public transit. And three, the Seattle City Attorney must not prosecute protesters. 
You can read more about these demands, as well as other demands that Black-led community organizations have been making on local officials well before these protests started, at kingcountyequitynow.com. I highly encourage everyone who is able to, to get out there in the streets. Of course, I know that many people are not able to, for a variety of reasons. We are, of course, still in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. I did not go out to the first couple of protests for different reasons, including concern over exposure to the coronavirus. But eventually I couldn't continue to make excuses for myself, and I had to get out in the streets. I have been for the past several days now, and will continue to do so. I have not personally witnessed police violence, fortunately. I have witnessed, however, a lot of community, solidarity, and mutual aid. I believe that this will be an historic moment. What is happening right now has been described as an uprising across the country. It does not feel like anything else I've ever seen in my lifetime. I feel that it is our imperative to do everything that we can to continue pushing this movement forward. If you feel the same way, but are unable or uncomfortable with being out in the streets, there are plenty of other ways to get involved. You can sign and forward petitions, donate to bail funds and mutual aid groups, or contribute food and supplies directly to protesters. There are so many opportunities to be involved right now, it's hard to keep up with it all, but we'll put some links in the show notes to get you started. For those who have been out in the streets, please take care of yourselves and each other. That includes being mindful of exposure to the coronavirus. If you have any symptoms, please stay at home. Everyone who has been out in the crowds, regardless of whether you have symptoms right now, should get tested. Symptoms of COVID-19 can take days or even weeks after exposure to show themselves. For people in Seattle, there are now drive through testing facilities where you can schedule an appointment to get tested for free. We'll put the link for that in the show notes as well. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. We may do a follow-up as protests continue. You can email us at CascadiaSolidarityZone at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at CSZ underscore pod. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating. Cascadia Solidarity Zone is an independent media project and does not represent the official views or positions of Seattle DSA. Thank you for listening. 